That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. And as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He is risen. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is by far the most significant moment in human history. It, is, it, it proved that Jesus truly is God. See, a lot of people were executed in that day. A lot of people were killed. But only one rose from the grave three days later and appeared to over 500, 500 people before then ascending to heaven. History records many of these 500 people later laying down their own lives rather than rejecting or denying the fact that they saw a resurrected Christ. That was how real it was to them because it was real. You don't lay down your life. Most people, most sane, many sane person would never lay down their life for something that was not real. And because it was real, at least in my view, that makes what Jesus said true. Because it was very obvious that he was who he says he was. And Jesus said a lot of things. One thing that he said that we're all very familiar with, or a lot of us are, is that nobody comes to the Father but through him, but through me. So that's one thing that we, that one of our prayers for you today is that if you are far from Jesus today, that by the end of today you would be ushered back into a relationship with him, that he would meet you right where you are. That is his heart. That is our church's heart, is that you would encounter Jesus today. He is the door to God, and he is also uh, the door to the kingdom of heaven here on earth, which is what we're going to spend a lot of time on today. And quite frankly, he's the key to the fullest life you've ever imagined. But he also, in his time, he kind of framed out a lot of the things that he said were things like, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, forgive the people who have done wrong to you. He came to earth preaching about a world that could be better than the world that they had at that time. In in an age where armies ruled the world with swords, he taught that ultimately love will win the day. He dared to imagine and then spoke into existence a movement of people who would change the whole entire world by serving it, by loving one another by loving the world and by not letting hate t- 
take up space in our hearts and fill our hearts by not letting the things that were done wrong to us cause us to do wrong to other people. Not allowing ourselves to be weighed down by our own insufficiencies and all the things that we have done wrong, our own failures. But always believing that God can actually bring life to even the most broken situations that you may find yourself in today. He preached about resurrection. And not just his own resurrection, his own resurrection only put the seal on it, like the song said today. It solidified it. But he talked about a world in which people's best days are ahead of them. He looked at a father whose child had died, and he said, go home, your daughter is alive. She was. Resurrection. He looked at a tax collector, one of the most despised and hated people in all of that day, and he called him, he said, leave that life in here, here's a new life, come follow me. You don't have to be the person you were the whole rest of your life to now. Resurrection. He ushered in a world where a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, a crime that was punishable by death, could instead of death be met with grace. And he would tell her what, go and sin no more. There's a new, a better path forward for you than this. You deserve another chance no matter what everybody else says. Resurrection. That is who Jesus is. He does not hold your past against you this morning. He doesn't hold your brokenness against you. He just wants to breathe new life into your life, and he's the son of God. He left heaven and entered into our world so that we can experience resurrection in our lives today, in all those broken places today. And today we want to share with you a story. We read about it in Romans a moment ago which Paul talks about, and Paul tells us, this actually tells us an awful lot about resurrection, and that's the story of a man named Abraham. Now, Abraham is so important to kind of understand in the the story of the context of basically the entire Bible, because God made a really special promise to Abraham, and the purpose of his promise was to make the mission of God go forward. So we're going to talk about what that means today. Um, Abraham and his wife, they were old. Very old. Very old. Sarah was barren. Barren. She could not have children. They were about 100 years old, right? And God promised Abraham that he would have a son. What? I mean, he knew his body was old. He knew his wife was not, he and his wife were not capable of having children. But as good as dead, And as barren as Sarah was, God made him a promise for a child. And Abraham had faith, and he believed that despite his circumstances, God could still do what he did at the beginning of creation and bring, call forth something that didn't exist, bring, breathe life into death. He knew, he believed. He knew, and God told him, "You, you will be the father of many nations, He was building his people to demonstrate, to be a light to the nations, to show them, I will be your God and they will be my people. And when they see how good of a God I am, they'll know my love. And this was really, really important that he just believed. That was the beginning. It was initiated by faith. And he told him to go out and 
look at the stars and said, can you name all the stars? If you've heard the story, you're probably pretty familiar. It's Abraham's story. Can, can you number the stars? And he just can't. And he said, as, as the stars, so your descendants shall be. And can you imagine having no children and being barren, thinking, I'm old. How am I going to have that many descendants? How? But just believing, okay, God, you said it. That's your promise, and I'm going to hold on to that. That's all, so that's all found in Genesis 15. He takes, God takes Abraham out. He shows him the stars. He says, this is what, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to resurrect something in you. But then something very strange happens in Genesis 15. Something very odd that most likely when we hear this, we're going to be like, why? Who on earth would do that? Why would that happen? Because what happens is God tells Abraham to go get a cow and go get a goat and go get a ram Go get a turtle dove and get a pigeon. So, like, right, go get all of these things. And the thing is, is like, we don't, we like, what is that? What is God doing? But Abraham knew right away what God is doing because Abraham, the actions that he actually then takes, God doesn't even have to tell him to do because he already knows what to do. Abraham gets all of these animals and he cuts them all in half. He cuts these animals in half and he creates an aisleway with the parts of these animals. So he'll cut in half and half the cow here, the other half here, half the pigeon here, half the, actually not the pigeon, half the cow here. He didn't cut the birds. The birds, he didn't cut the birds. So he creates this aisle way. And what this was, was what was called cutting a covenant. In Hebrew, it's Brit Bain Habitarum. It's the covenant of parts. And the idea was this. They would cut these animals in pieces, into two pieces, separate pieces. They would separate them and then they would line them all up. It'd be an aisle way. Then both of the parties involved in the covenant. There's a, there's a covenant being made. God's making a covenant with Abraham. He knew that right away. They would, they would both walk between these pieces, declaring the words of the covenant. And it was always one of those if-then type things. Like one would say, if I'm faithful to do this, then you in return will do this. And the symbolism behind the pieces of these animals is they would say, if I break the words of this covenant, may it be done to me as is done to these animals who have been torn apart. May I keep the words of this covenant or may I be cut into pieces. So when Abraham heard, go get a cow, right away he thought to himself, God's making a covenant with me. Now if that were me, I'd be like, I don't want to be cut in pieces because how am I supposed to keep God's covenant? But that was the price for not keeping it. But watch very closely at what happens. This is verse 12 of Genesis 15. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So Abram falls asleep. Actually, a great darkness falls on him. So basically, God knocks him out. Now, why in the world would one half of a covenant knock out the other half of the covenant before the covenant was made? God knocks out Abraham, he's Abram at the time, and then, he, then you hear God start reciting some kind of covenant things, but then watch this, this is what it says in Genesis uh, 15, seven, uh, 17, he says, and when the sun had gone down, Abram is still sleeping, it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now this image of a smoking Fire pot and a flaming torch is the same Hebrew image you get in the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai when it says that God literally descended on the mountain and he descended in fire. It's the same word. This is just a, a tangible way yes. to say God is here. God this is God is here. 
And God walked that covenant. So Genesis says that God showed up. He caused Abram to fall asleep. And then God himself passed between these pieces. But he did not make Abram pass between the pieces. God says, if this thing falls apart, it'll be me that gets cut in pieces. May it be me. God is showing Abram, I am so committed to this relationship and to your well-being and to you experiencing resurrection and to the nation that I'm trying to create who will then one day bear the image of God and bear the hope of the world. I am willing to die in order to show you how much I love you. And this was so big, guys. This was God saying, if I break this covenant, I'm not even God. That's a really big statement. That's a big promise. And that's a big weight for Abraham to take on. But on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. But the Lord knew. God knew. There's no way Abraham is going to keep this covenant. There's no way. He knows today. As hard as you try, and as hard as I try, we're not going to be able to live up to who we are supposed to be. All have fallen short. All have sinned. All of us make our own way, and there's no way that we can keep the terms of which the covenant is, and that is why he did not make Abraham walk the pieces. God did not require Abraham to make an agreement that he could not keep. All God required of Abraham was to have faith, to believe that God would do what God said that he would do. And it was the faith of Abraham that initiated that covenant. But in order to ensure that it would always be about faith and not about works, God and God alone walked the pieces. And then Paul says it like this in Romans. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. We too are counted righteous, not when we, when we do all of the right things, but when we actually believe that God will do what God said that he will do. And we believe that God is who he says that he is. See, it says for ours also. And then it says it will be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the, who raised God, from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Luckily for Abraham... This was not an if you do this, then I do this covenant. No, 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 no. This was a I will knock you out so you don't have to commit to something you can't live up to covenant. God says, I'll take the weight. Because the fact is, you and I, we're never going to be able to keep it. We can try. We're going to always put forth as much effort as we can, and we should. We should always put forth effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. That's what Dallas Willard said. But if we're not careful, what will happen is we're going to fall and we'll fall again. And then what will happen is if we're not careful, we will live in that failure. We will live in those moments of disappointment. We will let our mistakes define our week. And then those mistakes will define our month. And they will define our year. And then our years. And before long, our entire lives will be defined by the things that we have done wrong. Because the ultimate fact is that we are truly all dead in sin. So what's our part? What's the point of being justified, right? I mean, this is where we are. I want you to understand justification a little bit further than we've probably understood it before and, and further every time you think about it. When you're justified, this is 
putting you in a place where you are accepted into the right relationship with God. You see, sin, when sin entered the world, it separated us from God, from being able to have that intimate closeness with who God is and for us not to bear the image of God anymore, even though it's still written on who we are. So when you're declared righteous, you're put back into that presence of God. And you're put back into that relationship. Your friendship's broken. Your marriage is broken. All of a sudden, it's okay. Your relationship with God is broken. Humanity's relationship with God is broken. But justification all of a sudden makes that good again. It makes it whole. And it makes you connect with God again. It's, it's a return of order to the chaos that our world is. And I know you all experience this today. The chaos of relationships, the chaos of getting the kids together, the chaos of keeping a marriage together when there's tension, the chaos of your individual life when your friends just aren't there for you, the chaos of being broken and having depression and anxiety and trying to wake up every day with purpose. He's bringing order to that through righteousness. His commitment is irrevocable. And this is the commitment he made to Abraham. And that commitment, no matter what you do or who you are, will not be taken away from you. And what this passage is telling us is that that commitment is to you and me. It's to you. And if if you think you're outside of that, wait. Wait and see. Just listen for just a second. This, is, this, this covenant, it's different, a little different than the ancient Near East covenants of its, of its like. And why it's different is because only one of them walked it. God walked it and said, I'm obligated. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I promise you. I promise you if I break it, I won't be God. I will be God. And that promise and that commitment is the, they call it the covenant love of God. And it's themed throughout the entire scripture. And this is the covenant love of God that put Jesus on the cross and that rose him from the dead and that justified us by the grace of God. The hardest faith at this point is to decide and accept. I am accepted in my total unacceptability. I haven't earned an ounce of this grace. I walked Jesus to that cross. He bore my sins, but to accept that Jesus accepts you right here, right now, in every part of your life. This is a covenant initiated by God because God knew that we could not keep it because of the sin and the corruption and the chaos in our world. And he decided, I don't care. You're mine, and I want you to be mine, and I want to be yours, and I don't want anything to be able to come between us. This defines these universal boundaries. There's this chasm that sin creates between us and God, and what it does is it expands beyond the reach of that sin, and it closes that gap. The love of God closes that gap, and it encompasses every single one of us, all of humanity, all of creation, nothing is excluded. Faith is a very important part of that. But the cross, I want you to think about this as this greatest expression of what that is. The image of this invisible God who this 
this, we, tr we tried to see it in the, in the thing that walked down the pot and the smoke that walked down, but we can see it for real in the death and cross of Jesus Christ and that resurrection. This is not by works that you are saved, that you are justified. Justification is by grace that God gives us. It's a gift. And through our faith, your faith initiates that. And then for your works, your works come out of that, that grace and that faith space. Yeah. Uh, on Good Friday, we did a, we had, we had a very special night here, and we went through these different icons, and this particular one about the cross really, really stuck out to me. Uh, we, I just found it so fitting, this cross representing the death of Christ on the cross, but the cross was being formed from the pieces of that cow that Abraham would have had to have walked between had God not walked, knocked him out. And I remember in this particular instance, um, our friend Bill was, each person, we had these different stations and everybody came and they, it was an, we were talking about icons and these are called icons because they're visual expressions of Jesus and we showed how people are actually that expression. So we told different stories and Bill was supposed to do this one but his car on his way here, he had a flat tire and he couldn't do it. So his wife Corinne came in at the very last second and she, and she just did it and because the cross is so powerful without any preparation, she just got up and did it. And it was one of the most powerful moments of the entire night just listening to, watching to see how like the cross had gripped her because of how significant that moment was and everybody in the room was gripped because that's this the power of of god and that christ would do that and and this is just so fitting to me this is the price that you and i would have had to pay had god not allowed jesus to take it from us this is what would have happened to Abraham had God not knocked him out. I just can't help but think, man, for God so loved Abraham that he did not make him walk the pieces. Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But this last line in Romans 4, it's the last line of the entire section. It says, Christ was raised for our justification. He was raised so that we may become who Jesus is. He doesn't just declare us righteous so that we one day can go to heaven and be with him. That will happen. If you are in Christ, that, trust me, if you have Jesus living in your life and in your heart, that will happen. But he declares you to be a person who actually represents him on this earth. Who actually represents him in bringing heaven to earth now to get on board with his mission in our community and his work here on earth. You will never change the world if you're always living in the past. You'll never truly love your neighbor if you cannot grasp how much God loves you. That he would send his only son to die for you. But you know, there's one last line in this passage in Romans that I think we really need to recognize. We've been talking about Romans for a long time and about how mankind has failed. You, you all know that. We, the wages of sin is death, and we know we've all sinned. Paul gives us this huge list at the beginning of this book of all these sins that we're all too familiar with. We're all on that list. But Romans 4.20 actually says that Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He grew strong. Man, I hope that this encourages you this Resurrection Sunday. We don't all start with the faith of Abraham. Abraham did not start with the faith of Abraham, that faith that moved mountains. He made a lot of mistakes, but he grew into it. And God showed up enough times in his life that Abraham realized, man, God really can do anything. 
And because of that, he had faith. Abraham had faith. But Jesus hadn't even come yet. So how was Abraham saved? People always ask that. How was he saved? What did Abraham believe? And Ben, you can come back up. Abraham believed that dead things could come back to life. Abraham believed that if God said that he would do something, that no matter how impossible that one thing may seem, or that situation may look, it is not impossible and God will do it. He believed in resurrection. It has always been about resurrection. It's always been about questions like, God, what can you do to give life to these circumstances that from everything that I can tell are without hope? What parts of your life today do you need God to call into existence the things that do not exist yet? Is it healing? Is it a marriage that has felt dead for a really long time? Is it a child who's far from God? And you just need God to step into your family and call into existence some unity, some reconciliation, some friendship. Is it salvation in your own life? Would you say to me, I've done so many things wrong. I've made so many mistakes. I know I cannot save myself. Listen to me, Jesus wants to meet you in that place today. He is here for you today. He wants to meet you there. He was turned over for your trespasses and he was raised so that you could be declared by God to be a person who belongs to God. You know, to repent. The word repent, we throw that word around a lot, but what the word literally means is it just means to change your mind. It means, I changed my mind about that. It's like, I used to think it was this. You know, I, I changed my mind. I, I, I think it's this. And that's what a lot of us need to do in this place today. We need to repent. We need to change our minds because we've not lived our lives like we actually have been redeemed by God. We haven't lived in a way that resurrection has actually been true in our lives. We need to change our mind about the areas of our lives that we think are beyond the reach of God. Hear me on this. Let God do what only God can do. We deny the power of resurrection when we live in such a way that says it can't get better. We deny resurrection when we say there is no hope. We deny resurrection and resurrection power when we live our lives as if we don't need God to move in our lives and do amazing things. You know, the story of Abraham, the story of his wife, Sarah, it is a resurrection story. Yes, Jesus Christ literally rose from the dead and that proves that all of it is true. It proves without a shadow of a doubt that dead bones, dry bones, they can come to life. Barren wounds can, in fact, give birth to entire nations. Broken lives can, in fact, be made whole. Broken marriages can find hope, even when it feels like there is none. Abraham believed in hope when by all human standards there was none. And God did everything that he promised that he would do, and he will do the same for you wherever you find yourself today. God wants to breathe on you. Breathe new life into that situation. Breathe new life into that relationship. Most of us look at the parts of our lives that we know are not as they should be, and we think, God is just waiting for me to clean up and to get it right before he'll save us. 
But the gospel is that God meets you right in your mess and he gives life to those places. Man, Jesus died for the parts of us that are not right. And he is resurrected so that God can declare that you are righteous because you have his son, Jesus. And his son is righteous. And that is the gospel. And it has always been true. From Abraham to Jesus and all the way to you. They had a son. Abraham and Sarah had a son. And that son had a son. And out of that lineage was born a nation of Israel. And down the line, out of that lineage, came Jesus. And out of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, you have now been included in that family, and you have been included in that wholeness, and you've been included in that promise. Maybe by adoption, maybe not by physical blood, but the Bible talks about that. We've been adopted into this. Let's read that verse. Do you remember this? When we read this at the beginning, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He did it, guys. He followed through on his promise, and he's not going to stop now. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the thing that did not exist. God made light out of darkness. If we look at the very beginning, he made something out of the void. He made man, he breathed his spirit, his life, breath into dirt and made a man. And if you believe that God can make something out of nothing, please don't limit him in your life. That in the broken places of your world, of your life, of your marriage, of your children, of your relationships, of yourself, when you're all alone or when you're with everyone, don't limit him. He can make something out of nothing. He will call forth the things that don't exist yet because he's designed you for wholeness. And I'm telling you right now, if you feel physical, spiritual, emotional, mental pain ever, you're not whole yet. Now the Bible talks about someday we will be completely whole. And that day we'll all be in heaven. But now there's wholeness for him to call forth those things. Not all of them. And I can't explain suffering, but Jesus experienced it. We have a God who knows our suffering and suffered with us. He became what we are so that we can become what he is. God wants to call into existence the thing in your life, that baby that you're hoping for, that job that you just can't get, that home that you, you need help repairing. He's going to call the miracle into your life. That relationship, we've given you a lot of examples, but please, whatever God's putting in your heart and your mind right now, he's asking to bring wholeness to that. He wants to make you whole. He wants to call new life into your life, into your broken dark, empty places. He wants to be there. And how does that happen? Through faith. Jesus is this image of the invisible God. Colossians 1. In him, everything in heaven and on earth was created. The whole universe has been created through him, 
and for him. I want to share just this little piece that we use on Good Friday. Simon of Cyrene. He was the man that when Jesus slowed on his journey carrying the cross to his death, on the journey, Jesus got tired and he couldn't carry the cross fast enough. The Roman soldier got impatient and they grabbed Simon, some random passerby, not even a Jew, not connected to this at all. Didn't matter him nonetheless. Grabbed him and he carried the cross for Jesus and he followed Jesus. And I imagine Simon looking back saying, every step that I took, I walked Jesus one step closer to his death. But then I realize that it wasn't his death that mattered. It was after his death, that resurrection and what that means. Simon was a chance for humanity to not just demonstrate that our sin is carrying Jesus' cross one step closer to his death, but by being part of humanity, we are taking part in the restoration of the people around us, of our loved ones, of the most broken, dark places. And every step that he took, took humanity one step closer to redemption. I don't think that story is in there by mistake. I don't think Jesus just got tired. The cross was decided and done, and you were redeemed before the foundations of the earth. You are part of this. You have to see, you have to have faith when you're carrying the sin and the burdens. You have to see forward to the resurrection, to the redemption. I know you don't see redemption in your life in some places right now. I know the feeling of where's my wholeness? Why am I suffering? Why am I broken? I thought Jesus died for this. He did. And he's working it out, but you have to have faith that it's coming. That at the end of this troubled road and this death, there is resurrection. We have to hold on to that hope. I hope you can see that your faith is what initiates that. And the grace is a free gift. You don't have to do anything for it. Jesus is the source. He is the guide. And he is the goal of everything we do here on this earth. Everything. And I know it doesn't always seem like that. But if you can start to see him as your source. We're going to take communion now to remember what this cross was. To remember what Jesus did and why it matters and how we take part in that. And I want you to think about the way that you have faith that God will forgive you, that he will redeem you and he will make you whole. How when you do that, you're participating in the very restoration of all of humanity. The people around you, when your life is a mess and God brings it to wholeness and you proclaim, I believe God's going to take care of this. When, I, when my car gets totaled and I say, I know God's going to give me another car. And then when he does... When he comes through on the promise, then people around me can say, you can believe in God for something like that? I would like to try because God went through on his promises. We're going to take the sacraments. 
If you've never taken communion for, before, I want to invite you to be part of that. I want to invite you to recognize that Jesus died, gave up his entire dignity, everything he was, his humanity was put into the deepest, darkest shame so that we didn't have to carry that anymore. And I want you to let go. I want you to release it. Give it to Jesus. Let him carry your burden. Your burden is light when you carry the burden of Jesus.